The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hi, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on the BBC Sounds app. This week, Jeff Hodge is my special guest, taking your calls on everything from lemon trees, tomatoes and onion soft rot. What a lovely subject. In fact, we started with onion soft rot. We've also got some top tips of things you can be getting on with in the garden, plus that plant of the week. We go straight to calls, and this week we start with Paul in Hadley. And you're going to talk about onion soft rot. I mean, that's, I am indeed. They don't link too well, do they? No, not really. <laughs> so tell us more. Is this from last year? Yes, I had the onion sets in uh, and in a wall, and um, when I picked them, they were just rot, a white rot on the, on the onions. And okay. I don't know how to combat it. Okay, well that that is white rot, it is, isn't it? Um, which is which is basically in in the soil. So the first thing you're going to have to do this year is not grow onions in the same place. Oh, and right. that basically means you're not going to grow onions in that place where you grew them last year for the next seven years. Yeah, it's going to say five right. to seven because, years because it forms these little hard things called sclerotinas, which are how it um, keeps going from generation to generation, and they can remain in the soil for that long. They used to uh, they used to drench it with armatillox to kill off. They uh, they white. used to drench things in all sorts of things. Well, and, and, and they used to drench all sorts of things in armillotox. Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, lost its approval as a, as a soil sterilant many years ago. So yeah. it, so it is now illegal for me to uh, recommend it for such purposes. Oh, I see. And not even Jay's fluid. Same thing. You know. Jay's fluid used to be recommended. It had approval for that use, and it also lost its approval. So again, I can't recommend that. So we have to rely on the current weather flooding everything and wash it all out. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, it, it, probably, it probably won't wash out the, these no? uh, uh, resting mm. structures. They will be in the soil for, se- for up and to it, seven years. And it, honestly, seven Jeff, years. even if you sterilise that soil with, say, the old days, you'd have done it with, say, Joy, Jay's fluid, probably, you still yeah. would not eradicate probably that not problem, eradicate would you? It. No, they no. are very, very tough. They are oh. these, these, uh, so rest, these resting bodies. They can stand up to all sorts. So this year, you've got to go somewhere else and plant your onion sets. I will have to do that. I'll have to get moon me allotment somewhere else. <laughs> but it does mean, I mean, don't forget that you can grow other crops. It's just you mustn't grow any onion-based well, crops. Any, is it? any alliums. So that means no onions, leeks, leeks? G- garlic. No leeks, garlic. No, all garlic. No, garlic. no, no alliums. Oh, oh, well, that's me then. Okay. Oh, and you don't have to move allotment. You just you just don't use that soil. It it won't spread to other bits of your allotment. It is ah. literally that area of soil where you grew your onions last year. You can't grow them this year, or right. for the next seven years. Well, that's what I want and that's one of the reasons we do crop rotations, is to try and overcome things like this. Which is a recommended method, but sadly... We... <laughs> For this, it might not work. Yes, you'd yeah. have to have an eight-year crop rotation. Which is quite difficult, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And a lot of people, in all honesty, with their plots, they don't crop rotate very well, do they? No. You know, I mean, no. my dad, I always remember, he put his line of beans in the same blooming place every year. 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 Dig a trench, yeah. fill it up with compost and plant your beans. That's not you know? so bad, you see, because you're digging a trench exactly. so you're moving the soil, so you're yeah. changing the soil over, yeah. so it has the same but you effect. you don't with onion sets? No. 
And I go indoors now with Joanne from East Tilbury, don't we, Joanne? Hello, good morning. Hi. Orchids you're right. talking about, is it? Yes, I have a couple of orchids that I have nurtured over the year. Um, the buds are coming through, but I notice there is part of the plant at the very top has no buds on it. Can I prune that back? Are these... Do you know whether they're Phalaenopsis? They've got the flower that looks... Say, I describe it as looking like a pansy. Is that the flower? No. Right, OK. What's so, the flower look like? Well, do you know what the name oh. of it is? Do you know what variety it is, species it is? No idea. I, sa- I salvaged this from my daughter because um, she thought it was clematis. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not. <laughs> OK. So it was really looking poorly, so I salvaged it and I actually got... OK. Does it, have, does, it, it. does it have reasonably thin, brownish stems that often produce... Yes. OK. That's probably phalaenopsis. isn't it? When it when it comes to pruning Phalaenopsis flower stems, you literally wait until the bit of the stem is is completely dead, which means okay. that it will go a, a very pale brown, dried out look. Have yours done that? Right. Uh, not yet. No. Leave well alone. If they still if they still okay. look firm, if they still have a sort of a tinge of green to them, and they don't look dried out do not prune them, because you might still get flowers being formed there later on. Okay. You, you, right, only, ever prune, you only ever prune Phalaenopsis flower stems when they are completely and utterly dead, and then you only prune the bit that's dead, because okay. they can again produce side shoots lower down the stem that will produce more flowers. Lovely. Thank you. Um, second one, I'm going to be cheeky. You are I cheeky. Have a lemon pl- <laughs> I have a lemon plant. Yeah. Which I was bought two years ago, and and it is still alive. It's hanging on. You sure um, it's a lemon? It you sure it's a yes, lemon? It it's not. A, a, it's not a magnolia. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm just checking. I know my fruits from my flowers. No, she knows. She knows them. It's the daughter it's that the does. Daughter, them. The yes. Right, yes. <laughs> um, and we had some lovely lemons on it um, the first year, and actually into the second year, but. Um, I bought it indoors. I put it in the upstairs bedroom so it had light, it had warmth. I've watered it. We have new growth and leaves, but it's not very. Um, it's very spindly. Hasn't got. It's got leaves, but it's not bushy. What okay. am I doing wrong? I know did, I need to take it outside. Did you Did you buy it with fruit on? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. There's your answer. Um, <laughs> some some plants um, and citrus, uh, all types of citrus, are, are one of those plants. Is that um, I'm not going to I'm not having a go at, at the nursery industry, okay. but some some nurseries will will force a plant into flowering and or fruiting early in its life to sell it to right. sell it because obviously you, you're more right. likely to buy a lemon tree if it's got lemons on than you you are if you, if it didn't. Um, and so they, they restrict the roots, they give them, uh, you know, different growing conditions that sort of basically shocks the poor little thing into flowering and, and fruiting, and then they sell it to you. And, and then often the plant takes a couple of years to, 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 to acclimatise to the fact that it was forced to flower early in its life, and I think that's probably what's happened to yours. But so, we had flowers. We have had some flowers on it, but they've died back, and, and I don't know whether it's because I didn't water it enough... Um, so I wondered whether 
that's why I'm not getting fruit again. Well, obviously, if there's no, if the flowers don't stay on and aren't pollinated, then they, they, you won't get fruit. You uh, need your rabbit's tail, really, don't you, to pollinate? Or well, your little paintbrush, or, or, or a makeup brush, yeah. and do some pollinating. Okay. Um, I think the, the the mainly the the other issue is that um, citrus really aren't great house plants. Um, they, They've got to be outside they, in the summer. They haven't really they? don't like our houses o- over the winter. They, they are too dry and they are too dark. Uh, if you, okay. the, the first thing you're going to have to do is get get yourself a nice loan for about ten grand and and build yourself <laughs> a, and build yourself a conservatory. I've got one of them, but it was too cold in the winter. How That's cold? How cold did it get in the winter? Very cold. How cold is very cold, Joanne? Oh. Is it is it been much? Frost? Do you get frost on the inside? No, I don't get well, frost. Well, there you are it, then. I just thought it, oh, okay, so it doesn't matter how cold it gets because it was in the conservatory first. It won't like getting frozen, but if, if the minimum yeah. temperature, so instead of spending 10 grand on a conservatory, spend a fiver on a maximum and minimum thermometer. And if it right. gets, if it only goes down to three, four, five degrees centigrade, the conservatory will be the best place for overwintering your lemon. And I doubt this winter okay. whether it, a couple of days it went below that. No, it could have even stayed outside this winter, dep- yeah. depending on what no, the winter. No, but we're does. not suggesting that though. <laughs> no, no. So if I bring it down to the conservatory, it might sort of. Yeah, and and if you have got any stems that are that are dead, not not just yeah. leafless, but are, are again very pale brown and, and have dried out, then you could try trimming that back, and then come okay. April when we get some when it starts to reshoot and you get some new growth, you could have a look at the whole plant and see if trimming back some of the other shoots might actually help it bush out a bit. Okay, lovely. But, but Thank keep you, it gentlemen. in the keep it in the conservatory. It's far better for it. Yeah. Good Lovely. light. Thank it, you light. very much. Thanks. I mean, light is so important with plants, and we forget. Well, citrus. Citrus vital. really need good light, and so often, you quite rightly say, people bring them into the house, and the house has got such low light levels low light, generally, isn't too it? Too hot, too hot, too actually, hot and dry, and too dry, and then and then all the leaves go yellow, or they drop off, and that is because the conditions aren't right for them. Plant of the week. Yes, it's Capressus Sempervirens, or Italian Cypress. Well, why am I mentioning these? Tell you what, I planted some eight-foot ones this week. They look fantastic, and it reminded me that you can use them as a feature. Small ones, three foot high, one metre high, in containers outside your house, on the back patios, gives it a bit of style. Anyway, so native to Eastern Mediterranean, right across to Croatia, Albania, Israel, and even down to Iran. They grow, yes, they can grow, 100 foot high. So I don't think these ones will see me out on 100 foot anyway. With upright branches loosely hanging sort of out. Uh, the foliage grows in a dense spray. They are tight. They're dark green. The leaves are sort of scale-like and 2.2 to 5 millimetres they are. The cones are ovoid, 25 to 40 millimetres long. They start off green and then they grow brown and the pollen is released in late winter. They love full sun and well-drained soil. So that's all you've got to worry about, full sun and well-drained soil, and that's where the ones we planted have gone. Now, out of interest, um, they're a cemetery tree for Muslims. They're used as a fumigant uh, at cremations. Um, 
But people, I think, like them in cemeteries because they bend softly and they give a soft sort of essence to the feel of the place. The wood is very scented and the doors of St Peter's Basilica in the Vatican City are made from the wood. And sometimes the wood is used in distilleries to hold the mush and give it flavour. What else? They can suffer with cypress canker and a fungus, but generally a bit of dieback, causes a bit of dieback, some of the uh, funguses, cerodium. But basically, they're good if you don't sit them in wet soil. So they are Capressa Sempervirin, Italian cypress. Buy them small, buy them big. But plant them in your garden if you want a bit of style. I promised to talk to Audrey, didn't I? Hello, Audrey, about your plum tree. That's correct. And uh, the dog obviously doesn't like me, but don't worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, which, which, is it a new plum tree? Is it an old plum tree? And what's up with it? I've had her now for just over two years. Uh Uh-huh. She's a patio plum. Victoria. Um, Last year, I lost a lot of the leaf. The leaves turned brown and just dropped off, and I've been looking at it again now. Um, I snapped one of the branches and it's dead. Um, So I guess I'm going to have to cut those back. But my problem now is one of the branches has got a lot of small red um, growths tiny red growths on it. I tried to wipe them off, but they're not, they're solid. And coral spot, yeah, do you that think, sounds, Jeff? that sounds like coral spot, which is a, um, a disease that mainly attacks uh, dead wood. So the likelihood is, if you've got them on certain branches or certain parts of the plant, those branches are dead. Uh, the, the, the main way to tell whether a branch or a stem or a shoot is alive or dead is, is with your thumbnail very, very carefully just... Uh, flick up or pick up a small piece of bark and it's brown it, well okay it's so dead. that so that's dead fine so I, I assume i've got to cut all those off well yeah yeah, the, yeah you uh, keep keep going backwards until you can find something that's got live tissue underneath yeah uh-huh. yeah so if, if you're trying to tell if a, if a stem is is dead you start at the tip and you keep going back and back and back until you get to green. Obviously, if you don't get to green, it's uh, dead. It's completely dead. Now, what? How big a pot is this, uh, this plant in? Uh, it's about twenty inches in diameter. I did um, take it out and repot it during the winter. Cut back the roots and repotted it back in um, John Innes number three. Okay. And. Um, Three or four of the branches are now showing bud, ready to flower. Good, that's good. Um, I mean, really, it sounds this this browning could have been dried out, couldn't it? Or so it, it probably, c- probably was. It probably drying was out drying last out sum- last summer. And I think that's possibly done the death of some of the branches. branches yeah. So I think this year you've got to try and watch very carefully it doesn't dry out, have no holidays, things like that, isn't it? Absolutely. Good gardeners never go on summer holidays. No. They only ever go on winter holidays. Exactly. Uh, Don't don't do any pruning now, though, Audrey. Wait until at least the end of April, early May, before you do any pruning on removing any of the dead growth. Oh, fine. 
And that's just to protect it from uh, things like bacterial cankers and, sil- and different... And silver leaf And disease, silver leaf, yeah. all right? That's great. Thank you very much for your help. That's a pleasure. And uh, uh, with all patio plants, it's worth giving them a good feed in the spring, isn't it? Cause now, because they're, they're coming into yeah. growth. So get, get your feed started. In fact, there's an amazing amount of growth going on out there at the moment, isn't there? It really is. Well, I, yeah. think, I think plants are really depressed after the winter. They're all up and running very quickly. Cindy from Little Baddow. Hello, Cindy. Good morning. Um, I've not rang into the programme before. I listen because I'm normally at football, but we've been ma- uh, waterlogged, matched off. OK. Um, just, just to quickly say, I'm on my way to Bishop Stalford through the back roads and there's a major accident and all the traffic has been turned back if anyone's travelling on the back forward end road. Beware. OK. That's very, ke- very, um, th- very good of you. So, um, I recently retired and I've been looking for new new challenges and growing vegetables is something I would love to do, but I do not have the foggiest clue where to start. Well, let's start with the garden. You've got a... Have you yes. got a garden? Yes, I've got a big plot, but I was hoping to do some on the decking. I've got a very lovely sheltered decking area. Okay. OK, well, you can grow just about every single vegetable you like in a container um, on the patio or wherever. Um, as it's warm and sunny, probably your best bet is to concentrate on those plants that love hot, sunny conditions, such as tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, aubergines. Um, the most important thing if you're potatoes. growing in the... Potatoes, yeah, if you want to do potatoes in okay. containers, you can do that. They need big containers to, to get a good crop. If you are thinking of growing in the ground, then the thing you should be doing now is thoroughly digging over the soil and putting in as much bulky organic matter like well-rotted compost, well-rotted manure into the soil. It's too early to be sowing seeds Anything, yet because it? the soil's too cold. But you could warm the soil up by, once you've finished digging it over, covering it with clear polythene. And then, obviously, growing vegetables is far too big a subject for us to cover in a a phone-in. So what I would recommend you do is buy a good book on the subject. And the one that I first bought when I first started growing vegetables was the... Well, it's now been renamed, I think, as the Vegetable and Herb Expert by Dr. Hessian. And it is... It is a fabulous... Well, the the whole Expert series are fabulous books, and I'm not going to say they're fabulous for starters because I still use them 50 years after starting starting gardening. If I said they were basic, people were put off, but they are basic. They talk in a basic language that we can all understand. And it'll probably cost you about six quid. So it's n- so All it's I want to do is I want to have some success to build my confidence because yeah. I'm not um, I, I've got a bad back so digging the garden is not I've got plenty of room right. to do it. In fact, I was going to look into one of these schemes where you get somebody who would like to have an allotment come and use your garden. I don't know if there's such a thing in Chelmsford. Or, or, or if you don't, if you can't dig, then a great way. And the way I grow veg at home is to use raised beds, which basically means that you there is less bending down to do. And once you've prepared them initially, the first time you never ever dig them again. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, yeah. Okay, and just an idea. now, just a reminder for you, Cindy. You're you're obviously you've left work. You're starting retirement, and just a reminder that this program is available on a podcast. So it's not a problem. You can listen to it at any time via the podcast. That's via uh, BBC Sounds app. 
So you yep. can pick up on that. There's extra tips and hints on that as well. Uh, Jeff has been doing those earlier today, and we've, they will be added into this program. And every month, Andrew Tokley, who is Horticultural Director for King's Seeds, he comes onto the program and does a five-plus-minute piece on what you should be getting on with on your veg plot or in vegetables each month. You missed last week's last... His one was last Saturday, but you can still pick it up on, on the BBC Sounds. And the next one will be March the 28th. He does the end of each month. So listen out for that as well. All right, Cindy? Oh, that's it. Thank you very much for your help. You've, you've inspired me. Thank you. OK, Cindy, and enjoy it, because it, it, growing veg is great, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and bring me some beetroot when they're ready. Well, that, yeah, yeah, one of my favourite. I do like a bit of beetroot. Uh, let's go now to Vic. Sorry to keep you waiting, Vic, in Brighton. Yeah, and you're yeah, on. T- okay, uh, Ken and uh, Jeff. Uh, tomatoes. My tomatoes have got. They're in a cold greenhouse. Can you hear me, all right? Y- yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're in a cold greenhouse. I started them off in my garage in a heated propagator, and then once they got big enough, I, tr- I put them in, still in the propagators, into the cold greenhouse. I've got no electric in the greenhouse, so I can't plug them in. But some of them have now got. Um, curled leaves with a light tan colour on them, yep. and others have got sort of spots, light tan spots on them. They're about between four and six inches high, uh, and I just wonder what it is, whether it's uh, too cold in the greenhouse for them, or whether it's some disease or fungus. OK, from your description, and obviously without seeing them, it's, it's a little difficult. bit more difficult to make an exact diagnosis, but from your description, it sounds like cold stress. Doesn't it? Right. So yeah, in, overnight, I, yeah, I put the plastic cover over the uh, yeah. propagators yeah, and then on top uh, a, um, a fleece, you know, the, the gardening fleece. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all good things, but what you have to realise is that young tomato plants should really be um, at a minimum temperature of about 10 degrees centigrade. Oh, right. So it's basically, it's not a disease, it's uh, cold. It, no, it's, it's a stress. It's stress. a stress reaction to the fact that you... They you, should... You, you brought them up in a very warm environment and then you move them to a very cold environment. And, oh, and, right. and it's a bit like you, you know, if you're sitting in front of the fire and then you go out on a freezing cold day, you're more likely to sort of get chillblains and cold and all sorts of nasty gotcha. things because of the... They should grow tank. out of it, shouldn't but they, they should, Jeff? But they should grow out of it, depending on what happens temperature-wise over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, OK. Um, should I bring them indoors? Because the garage is not heated, really. Um, well, if you, if, you can, if you can bring them indoors at night or at yeah. any time that temperatures inside the greenhouse drop to below 10 centigrade, then they will enjoy that as long as they get good light if it's in the daytime. Yeah, well, they're, they're getting good light now because I've taken the fleece off, you know. Yeah. Um, so they get, and they've still left the cover. Well, I've taken the covers off, actually, but they're getting good light now. Yeah, but it's fairly warm today. It's not well, as cold. To give you an idea, I mean the outside temperatures. I mean, I know in in my vehicle it was about eight. And I think you found the same, did you? About eight, seven to eight, seven yeah. to eight. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, on the roof here at Chelmsford, it's nine. So you're still very tight on your, your temperatures there oh, with tomatoes. Okay, yeah, right. Um, Care. Is he a bit early? He's quite a bit early, well, isn't he? That, I mean, the, the thing is, you, you normally should time your, t- you know, things like tomatoes, the sowing of the seeds of tomatoes, depending on where you are going to grow them and on the conditions that you can provide. And right. I, I, it sounds like you sowed them in either late January or February. 
early February, because that's what it says on the packet from yeah, well, that's February ah, to May. But you see, seeds, seeds and plants can't read dates and temperatures, and that's what <laughs> we have to I'll always remember. And, and yes, you can sow them in January and February. That's if you are going to grow them permanently in a, in, heated, in a heated greenhouse. Right. If you are growing them outside, if you are going to intend to grow them outside, the best time to sow seeds of tomatoes is now, is this month in March, early March, because then they'll be just more, about right more May, used to the temperatures that are coming up, the conditions that are coming up, and they'll be ready to put outside after the frosts at the end of May. If you if, if we you, get frosts, it, well, yeah, if we knows? get frosts, yes. <laughs> anyway, we're staying on tomatoes, aren't we? With Colin in Harwich, hello, Colin. Yeah, hello, Colin. Um, Ken, and hi there to Jeff. And you basically answered my question because... Um, <laughs> we're good like that. We're, we're psychic. <laughs> which, which is, well, that's what it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I've got a bar heater coming for my uh, greenhouse today and a thermostat, uh, like a Wi-Fi um, thingy that yeah. runs to a thermostat plug. So, so the thermostat plug will switch on and off. Yeah. For the bar heater. And and that's what I wanted to know was was what night time temperature should should I set it at. Okay, night time so, it's night time is you can go a little bit lower. So uh-huh. I, if 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 I was doing it in my greenhouse I would be setting the night time temperature to about 8 centigrade. About yeah. 8. Maybe. The only yeah. the only drawback with that is if it's electric tube mm-hmm. and it, the the sensor will tell you when it's eight however the yeah. tube then takes time to heat and the temperature will drop slightly lower yes. do you still think eight's okay no i still think eight is fine okay but i would but the thing that i would also do is to actually get myself a maximum and minimum thermometer i always use yeah. use digital ones because the yeah, the, the yeah, temperature yeah. that it is reading may not be where the tomato plants are. So I mm-hmm. would be getting a, a maximum minimum thermometer. I'd put that right next to the tomatoes, and I would take certainly be taking readings thoroughly for the first couple of days to make sure that the temperature that is actually around the tomatoes goes no uh-huh. lower than 8 degrees centigrade. All right. Yes, I'm, I'm hoping to get an early start. And, and will the same rule apply for my cucumber plants? Because they're doing quite nicely as well. Uh, where are you planning on growing these? Uh, grow bags. Indoors? 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 Um, well, in, in, yeah, in the greenhouse. Yeah. In the greenhouse. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, they need slightly warmer temperatures, so I wouldn't allow the, the nighttime temperature to ten. go down below 10, and I wouldn't right. grow them in grow bags. Don't grow them in grow bags. You'll have all sorts of problems come the summer when they're cropping. Ah, no, no, no. no. I, tell, I tell a lie. No, the tomatoes are going in grow bags. No, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't um, put tomatoes I, I, in grow bags either. Do you know you want to buy is buy, buy bags of compost, turn them up right, and chop the tops no, off. No, no. What you want is, an eight, is a 10-inch <laughs> pot... <laughs> For your tomatoes and a 12-inch pot for your cucumbers and fill them with good compost. And that is the best way to grow them. Go, don't touch grow bags with a barge pole. Oh, right. Oh, that's interesting. They dry out too quickly. You, if you want to spend a bit more money and you want to, make, you want to buy what are called giant planters, 
which are mm-hmm. a lot thicker and fatter, but they are going to cost you six or seven quid each. Use uh-huh. those instead of grow bags. But grow bags, the standard traditional grow bag, is too thin. It doesn't have enough compost. You'll get blossom end rot. You'll get splitting. You'll get the plants drying <laughs> I out. I don't think he likes it, Colin. And you'll I don't think Jeff and doesn't you'll like never grow get bags. A good crop. Don't use grow bags. <laughs> they are. He's good for he's good for the trade out Jeff over here, isn't he? Well, no, I've, I've just I've just traded him up from a ninety nine pence grow bag to a seven pound oh. planter. Yeah. So I'm doing very good for the trade. But. But don't forget, Colin, you can use that pot for years. Yeah. (laughs) We'll be back to those gardening questions in just a little while. But right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden this week. Jeff, what you got? Well, I was thinking after Storm Kira and Storm Dennis and months and months of wet and windy weather that we've had recently, we could all do with some instant spring cheer. We need that. We do. And as March and April are two of the best months for planting anything hardy in the garden, the only other months that are good are are in the autumn, and that's a long time to wait, why don't you just pop along to your local garden centre or your nursery and have a look to see what they've got. They'll have loads of things at this time of year that are either just coming into flower or are budding that you can literally just, you know, prepare the soil, make a nice hole, put them in, lots of shrubs, herbaceous perennials, and if you want some real spring cheer and real spring colour, then, of course, we've got all the uh, spring bedding plants. So there's going to be primulas and polyanthus and uh, winter flowering or spring flowering pansies, loads of stuff in the garden, in containers, just brighten up the garden after months and months of all that miserable, horrible weather. Now, come on, what's your next tip? Is that miserable or is that cheerful? Well, it's kind of cheerful. It's cheerfulness. <laughs> oh, cheerfulness. Yes, because that's a type of daffodil. It is. And that's what I'm talking about. Bulbs. Perfumed, isn't it, as well, it, it cheerfulness? Is. Yeah, it's a lovely double. Yeah. And there's white or, or yellow varieties. So, um, I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate that the, the most important uh, part of a bulb's, or certainly spring flowering bulb's, life cycle is immediately after flowering, because that's when they are producing their flower buds for next year. So after flowering is the time that you really need to spend any time to look after them. So that involves deadheading. Very important. But also, not just taking the flower off, it's taking off the developing seed pod. That's the whole idea. And then just allow them to grow for as long as possible. So if we have dry weather or they're in containers, water is necessary. Liquid feed, you know, a high potash liquid feed like phosphorogen or even tomorite. Does help, doesn't it? Once a week once a fortnight just to give the bulb loads and loads of energy and while it's doing that and while it's getting all that energy making all that energy it is developing really big flower buds for next year don't cut the leaves off i know daffodils for instance look miserable and tired after they finish flowering and there is the temptation to either cut all the leaves off or tie them into those lovely knots knots that are horrendous but they've got to go yellow Yellow to brown before you remove yeah, them, really, I mean, haven't they? You could leave them for a minimum of eight weeks after flowering, yeah. but it is far better to allow the leaves to die down naturally. Once they're all yellow or starting to turn brown, then they should come off really easy. You should just be able to pull them off without uh, any problem at all, and that's the best way of doing it. Here are some good tips. Thank you very much, Jeff. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther.
And we're going to Dorothy in Tolshan Darcy, aren't we, Dorothy? That's right, yes. I have a rose bed which yes. has 16 roses in. Mm-hmm. They are 10 years old, some of which we would like to replace. What would the best way be of going about it, please? Why, why are you replacing them, Dorothy, if, What's they're, wrong with if them? they're only 10 years old? Well, it's my husband um, hasn't cut them down, as it says. Yeah. And he doesn't really know how to cut them back. So the same, so, thing, so the same thing will happen when you buy new ones. So uh, look, uh, honest, to, Honestly, Dorothy, you can save, cut to, them back. Just don't worry how big they are. If they're six foot high, cut them back to... Eight inches, and, nine inches. And now is the time to do it. So after this programme finishes at 12, go outside, get your secateurs, cut all the stems back to six to nine inches from the ground, yeah. all of them. And any, that, and any that are dead, cut those out completely. Then, right. then give them a good feed with a rose, a granular rose fertiliser, water that in a little bit, and that way you will get nice, strong plants compact plants with lots of flowers this summer and do that every year right thank you very much indeed okay and we've now just we've now again ruined the nursery industry because we've we've stopped you spending a fortune on new roses will you do that dorothy yeah i will tell you lord and master you don't need new roses if they're only 10 years old you really don't Right, thank you very much for your help. And and don't forget to phone in in the summer and tell us how a beautiful display of roses, the best you've ever had, you're having this year. Okay, Dorothy? Thank you. And actually, I spotted a new... There's a a, a weed killer that you could use on a rose bed, isn't there, that will prevent weed growth, isn't there? I don't know what it's called. Is it... it, Was it Westland? It's called Westland Weed Preventer. Now, that would work on a rose bed quite well, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah, we'll work on, on any bare soil. It, it, as its name suggests, it is a weed preventer. It yeah. stops weeds from growing. And it lasts about three months, something like that? Uh, two months? Two, two months. A couple of months, doesn't yeah. it? So it would help people who struggle with keeping their gardens under control, yeah. which obviously Dorothy does a but little bit. But you can't put it on soil where the weeds are already growing no. through. It's got to be clean. Yeah, and you, clean can't, and you can't put it where bulbs are coming through. Because they don't like it either. Well, they will get damaged, as, as would anything that was growing yeah. through the soil. OK. So they are. there's a thought for you. New pro- oh, it's worth mentioning. And by the, the way, I, I, don't, I haven't worked out whether it works really well yet. I'm actually testing it at, at home. I know the feeling, because I have a pack of it as well. Okay. <laughs> we will is, let you is, know it more. Is a, it is a brand new theory. It is, isn't and, it? And I can't fully... No, because it's not a chemical. No, it's not a chemical. No, it's it's starch. That's right, and I can't work out how it works either. I've read read all about it and thought, but it's organic and it's and it's pet and animal and child friendly, Friendly. like most things are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to move on because Pamela from Ockenham Village has given us a call, haven't you, Pamela? Hello there. Good morning, everybody. Um, I've been walking around the garden looking at all the shrubs, how they're doing. All doing good. pretty well, which is great. My prunus in Kaiser Kojo no Mai is covered in beautiful, um, very, very pale, pinky-white flowers. Yeah. Um, but I really don't know. It, it was given to me a couple of years ago, and I'm not sure at all about the pruning on this one, when it should be. Okay, well, first, the first thing to say is congratulations on, pronu- on your pronunciation. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, almost 100% perfect. Most people oh, well, tend to say both. no ma- train. <laughs> oh, 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 fine. Well, yeah. Most people say no may as opposed to no my, but there we uh-huh. go. Um, okay, it's a member of the Prunus family. Yes. Okay, and all members of the Prunus family should only ever be pruned when they are in full leaf growth. Oh, right. Which is basically from end of April, but I prefer early May to the end of August. However, however, this particular dwarf cherry shrub, as opposed to a cherry tree, is what most people describe it as, probably won't need any pruning because Mm. it's so slow and low-growing. Yes. But if you do want to remove a branch here or there, then either uh, basically do it from May to, to, to the end of August. But, but the earlier, the better for, for that. I would say, you know, try and do it in May. Um, Jeff, can I just say something? You've been speaking about tomatoes. Yeah. We were. You need to give out your best tip ever, <laughs> which I heard from you when you came to speak at my garden club years ago. Are you the Pamela that... followed it. And it's always your wonderful tip of when to move and not until the ah, first flower okay. Are you the... appeared. And I've never, ever lost any tomatoes. I've always had wonderful crops, but I do particularly what you said about when to move them into their position. So I think that's a really good thing for you to add on to everybody. So because it's what you're asking, you're asking, Jeff, if it's just the Pamela from... Are you the Pamela that phoned in a couple of months ago? Oh, I do seem to ring quite regularly because you, every time you come on, I'm walking around and there's something else to ask you. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're a Which Jeff favourite, are you? Brilliant. I um, hope you. I hope you listen other weeks as well as when I Jeff's do, on. Yes, I do. I spoke oh. to you the other week about the fat Sigeponico and you gave. Oh, I remember. Yes, yes. Cutting the branches down irregularly yep. every other year. And yes, okay. No, I do. I do. I come quite regularly, but it's always something that I particularly obviously need an answer do, for. But do you know the most? Do you know the most important thing you're doing, and it's, it's something that Jeff and I talk about a lot on the programme and people don't do, is you've just said, I have just walked round my garden and yes. looked at things, and people don't. If you did that once a week, yes. for, I mean, for, once for a day's ten, worth for, doing in the summer, but once a month, once a week in the ten, winter. For five to ten minutes. Yep, that's it's all it takes. how much change there is yes. out there. And Absolutely. you spot the problem, spot the problem straight away. Well, thank you very much indeed for that. And, OK, um, Pamela. And I'm now going to remind Jeff. Jeff, what is that tip? Because although the lady said it, come on, what's it? OK, so the tip is that to get the best crops that, and the earliest crops um, and, and the most crops from your tomatoes is that, OK, if you've sown seeds or if you're buying plug plants or young, young plants, when you plant up your plug plants or when you prick out your seedlings, prick them out or pot them up individually into a nine centimetre, that's a three and a half inch pot, and you keep it in that pot until the first flower starts to open or the first truss. You can see the first flower on the first truss. Then you move it into its grow bag. Obviously, you're not going to use... It's permanent position. You're not going to use grow bag. Let's say it's permanent position. Into a pot, into the garden, wherever you are going to grow it. Do not do it before that and you will get your first truss low down rather than six foot up in the air. You'll get more trusses, you'll get bigger trusses, and you'll get more fruit and bigger yields. And the same if you're buying a plant from a garden centre or nursery. If you're buying a nine centimetre 
you know, because same young, principle. If it's already in its nine centimetre pot yeah. from the garden centre, leave it in that pot until Til the first, first flower time. starts to open. Yeah. Some good advice here on BBC Essex on the gardening phone with Ken Crowther and Jeff Hodge. 0800 111 That's the number to call. That's 0800 111 4041. Don't forget, you can text us here in the studio on 81333, Pop Essex on the front. Email ken.crowder at bbc.co.uk. Here we are on FM, DAB, the, the, everywhere. The World Service. Those funny speakers <laughs> that keep talking UH, to you. UHF. Yeah, you name it, it's here. <laughs> anyway, long, let's go. Long wave, medium wave. Shut up, yeah. <laughs> He's going on and on now. I can't w- stop him. Wind up radio. Wind up. Yes. You don't see those as much now, don't no, you? No, you don't. No, They've lost their popularity. Yeah, I think people got fed up of trying them up. Building, building their yeah. arms up. Anyway, Terry in Graves, you've given us a call, haven't you, Terry? Yes. Morning, Ken. Morning, Ed. Um, I've got a green gauge tree, and during the high winds, a quite biggish bough broke off, and okay. it's left a big scar on the trunk. Can right. you tell me what to do with the scar, please? The most important thing is just to clean round the edge of it, isn't it, Jeff? Now, round the yeah. edge of where it's been damaged. To be honest, Terry, there isn't an awful lot you can do, and there's not an awful lot that you should do. And, you I know, can't, you... I can't paint it with anything. No, no, no. definitely, definitely, Don't. do not do that. Ah. Uh, you'll cause more problems really? than, than 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 if you left it. I mean, the thing to do is to leave it. Yeah, is yes. it? I, I normally just go around with a sharp knife, a like sharp, a pruning knife, yeah. and go around the edge of the wound, and that yeah. will encourage the bark to reef, to seal, yeah. basically. So, so if you've it? got any tears, if you've got any rough edges, yeah. you just par those off to make them uh, smooth. Yes, all right. And then you leave well alone and you keep your fingers crossed... Um, because depending on how much of the bark has been removed, some or part of the tree may die. Yes, oh crikey! De- depending on where it is, how it how it how big it is, and 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 uh, sort of how uh, what its distribution is. Yes, so, but there's nothing else you can do, and there's nothing else you should do. Okay. This green gauge wood it seems very brittle because uh, uh, when there it is windy, I always find bits of twigs on the lawn. Yeah, well, cherries, pr- lots of pruner species pruners, are, are, are brittle. Oh, that's, right. That's the nature of the beast. And that's why, oh. you know, mm. that you, you're always recommended to prop up heavy crops. You know, yes. if, you've got a, if you've got a branch with a heavy crop, always prop it up. Because oh, otherwise, right. it, otherwise it can snap off under the weight. Mm. And then beat the wasps to it when they fruit. Well, uh, yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the blackbirds. <laughs> Lovely to have a green ghost tree, though. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. green ghost. Yeah. Now, we did get an email from a lady, and I've, I, I've lost it. I've lost the email, because I did read it this morning before I left. Yes. So, so you've deleted it somewhere. Somewhere. It's gone. Now, this lady went to Osborne House, which is on the Isle of Wight, isn't it? Is it? It was Queen Victoria's uh, summer house. Very nice. And when she visited it, she nicked some seed from a plant. You're not allowed to do that, are you? But anyway, she told me she did. Right, Okay. I don't know whether she wanted me to tell the world, but that doesn't matter. She's grown this plant, which she can now can't identify because she didn't write down what the plant was when she was there. But I haven't got a picture anymore. So if you're listening, the lady who nicked the seeds, send me another email with a picture... We'll see if we can identify it for you. Well, oh. ha- well, if it arrives today, 
I, I'm not going to take part in the identification <laughs> process because, because basically it's a stolen plant, well, I suppose uh, which, it is, which I do which I do not approve of. No, and 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 a lot of national garden scheme owners they do struggle with it, don't are, they? Are now not opening their gardens to the public because at the end of the day, after all the public have gone away, all their plants are stripped of seeds and cuttings. So I know people go around, don't they, with wet flannels and, and pl- wet flannels and, and, pl- and plastic, pl- plastic bags, bags, taking cuttings with a yeah. knife, and they just nick them off and put them in their bags. So don't bother sending the email today because I won't be answering it. <laughs> Back to your calls, texts and emails shortly. But let's take a final look at the top tips Jeff has got for us this week. OK, the green, green grass at home, our, law, <laughs> our lawns. Yeah. This, these Welsh boys, they all come in with a... With a, with well, a we, all little... to, we all listen to Tom and love him, don't oh, we? Of course. <clears throat> um, so I'm, I'm getting loads of people going, oh, my, my lawn looks horrible. Very and mossy this year. Very mossy, doesn't look great. And, and and a lot of people don't appreciate that you know a lawn is con- you know consists of plants and plants need looking after, and a lot of people you know they complain but they didn't do the the soil preparation correctly so they you know they either laid it on top of the old lawn or that's they a common thing to do didn't dig the soil properly and then they don't look after them well they don't mow them properly they don't water they don't feed and they don't scarify and those are four things that you need to do annually. And the most important is the mowing. If you get your mowing wrong, forget about doing anything else. And, but they still complain. So if your lawn is looking a little bit down at heart, or it's got patchy bits, or it's got bare bits, then what I suggest you do is that you follow the professionals, follow the pros, follow the green keepers. Because what they will do this month in March, sometimes in April if, if the weather's uh, not perfect is that they all do something called overseeding and it's something that you can do at home so simple very, and very actually simple. cost effective because grass seed is cheap cheap as chips absolutely even good quality yes grass seed um, and a lot of people again don't really appreciate even if you look after your lawn properly sometimes up to 20 to 25 percent of the grass will die each year so overseeding is a way of replacing that grass to make it thicker to make it greener and to obviously get rid of any patches and it's really simple as you say you want to apply about three quarters of an ounce of seed to the square yard and you literally just grab a handful of it and and scatter it it over the lawn Mm. and then with the back of a rake um, or a lute if you've got a lute just go over the lawn just to try and um, settle the seed onto the soil water it if we've got any dry conditions if it's dry and then you've got a lovely rejuvenated lawn and that's really number one yeah, and that's what the professionals do. That's how, you know, when you go and see fabulous-looking sports pitches or, or golf that's greens, done. that's what the professionals do. So, easy as that? Easy. Second one? If you look. OK. Uh, is that, are we on lawn still? No, we're not on lawn. We've no. moved on. No, we're, we're talking about the five Ps. Right. Which Pro- five P? In my pocket? Or? No, the prior planning <laughs> prevents poor performance. <laughs> Which is what gardening's all about. It's it doing, is. Doing things early. Preparation. And we all need to support some of our plants. So if we've got plants that are in our herbaceous borders or our mixed borders, things that produce large or tall stems, you know, delphiniums, lupins, peonies, and come the summer or come late spring when they're in flower and then we get a bit of wind and they're they all, all, fall, over. all falling oh. over and everybody goes, oh, what's happened there? Well, if you get your supports in now... 
then when they are grown up, then the support is there already, less likelihood of any damage from winds. And herbaceous perennials are really taking off at the moment. If you walk around the garden, they're, they're up and back, going, back, aren't back they? Back in popularity. And the other great thing about doing it now is that as the plants are growing now, yeah. they will grow and cover the support so it doesn't look unsightly. You know, There's nothing worse than seeing plants with no. those uh, huge metal frames. Or, paint, or canes, and them. canes and twine round they look dreadful do it they? early you'll get better support there's less likelihood of damage to your plants and the plants will hide the supports for you now some good top tips from jeff moving on to keith from rochford talking potatoes aren't we keith yes um ken i usually grow enough potatoes to last me the winter but due to a health condition i'm not going to be able to do any digging so i've bought some potato planters when should I put them in the planters? Should be chitting them now. Um, should be chitting chit- them now, yeah. You're chitting them now, so yeah. it's too early at the moment. What, what? Which varieties have you got? Um, Are they first early, second first early, early, main so crops? Early. First early. First, first early. Yeah. Um, the time that you would be planting those outside should be any time, and of course this is weather dependent. Yes, very much. From so. about the middle of well, end of March beginning to of the April. beginning mm-hmm. of April. Right. So that's basically the same time as I would have been putting them in the ground. In the ground, absolutely. Now, if you had a gre- if you had a greenhouse and you were going to keep the pots in the greenhouse for the next month or so, you could probably do it now. Right, okay. But if you're going to put the, the planters outside on the patio or somewhere else on the garden, then you would have to wait until the normal planting time. End of March, beginning of April. Okay. Yeah. Yep, okay. lovely. Thank you very much. Is no that right? problem. Lovely. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. A pleasure. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite confusing. I think potatoes are one of the more confusing crops that people grow because... Can, can be. No, mainly because we seldom... They're sold in a garden centre or nursery from sort of Christmas-ish onwards. Yeah. And then people think, oh, well, what do I do with it? Well, we tell them to chip them. Yeah. So therefore they grow roots. And then you think, well, hang on, it's all grown all these roots, but I'm not putting it in the ground. Yeah. So there's this time delay that I think, if, well, especially well, if you're a new gardener, it's quite difficult well, to... Well, there isn't a time delay because <laughs> if, if you didn't chip them, you'd leave them in well, their bags in the, in the oh, shed. Oh, that would be even worse, And yeah. then they would produce yes. long... But you know what I'm saying, that they will produce lots of root, even when you lay them out in your egg egg trays or whatever you do. Well, if you've got too much root, then it may be that you're keeping keeping them too too warm. Mm. So you put them in a nice, cool place with good light. But not everybody's got those conditions that we talk about. No, well, then they need to shell out 10 grand for the conservatory, (laughs) because that's where I have mine, in the conservatory. Um, But chitting is a good idea, I think. Um, but you're right, you then have is, to grow yeah. them strongly before you plant them out at normal times. Now, Jerry sent... I'm not going to show you because you'd be shocked. Jerry. Jerry has sent us an email. Yeah. Now, Jerry sent us this email. He said, should I really cut these right back? They are roses. Yeah. They're my height. Yeah. So they're about six foot high. Yeah. They're as high as the fence. Yeah. For some reason, he staked them. Now, if they're not... Because they're too tall. Because they're too tall and, and they're falling and they, over. And they've got thin stems because he hasn't pruned them well, properly. Well, they've got thick stems at the bottom. <laughs> no, but at the top. The, that's oh, why yeah. he's staking yeah. them, because he hasn't pruned them no. properly. So, Jerry, if they're not a climber or a pillar rose, yes, yep. nine inches. Yeah. And I reckon you'll have a 95% success rate. 
99.9. So the answer is yes, cut them all down. Feed them. Give them and a, feed them. They need a massive amount of fertiliser, particularly after pruning. So good granular rose fertiliser after pruning. There's a line free at the moment on 0800 111 We'll squeeze a couple in for you um, and look after you in the usual way. And we've got texts that we'll run through as well. Um, let's now go to Tony in Upminster. Solanums we're talking about. Is that right, Tony? Where have you got them growing? I can. Um, I've got one growing beside a fence but i want to cut it uh bearing in mind the mild mild weather we're having is it too early or can i get away with it now i would say it's probably a little bit too early is it yeah i mean in a in an average year whatever average is these days we don't get average years anymore they've gone in an average year i would tend to be recommending doing it at the end of this month or or early april but because things are you know a little bit warmer if you do it now and we have a frost tomorrow you know there's a good chance that it'll start to die back so it's all about what happens after you've pruned it. If we get, you know, cold weather for a week, there's a chance you'll get dieback. The reason that you leave it till end of March, April is because there is less likelihood of getting uh, um, prolonged cold stroke frosty weather. Right. If it hasn't started shooting, if there's not no signs of new growth, I would definitely be looking to leave it. Oh, if it, it is, is shooting. It's got new growth on it. Yeah. Well, you can have a go, oh, <laughs> but if if, if if the man, if the man upstairs sends down a week of frosty cold weather, It'll it, na- it, it ain't my fault. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. Thanks very much. That's all right. That's a pleasure. Okay. Um, Colin, sorry, yeah. just quickly, you're yeah. got, you're going to do more damage doing it yes, early than late than if you leave it a little bit later. That's right. right. Yeah, I, I wanted to stake it. That was the thing, and uh, it's quite top heavy. Yeah, following the winds and okay, it has it is growing quite vigorously. If you're desperate to do it, cut it back, but not as uh, if you're desperate to do it because you want to stake it. Yeah. Cut it back enough, but not as much as you would. Okay, so, which basically means then you could cut it back, you could stake it, and then come the end of the month, you could cut it back the proper amount. So you would be pruning twice, which is a bit of a waste of time, but that's your choice. Don't forget that Emma Bullimore is here after 12 o'clock. She'll be in with us just before the news to let us know what she's up to this week. Um, And morning, Ken and Jeff. When sowing seeds, how do I know what growing medium to use? Seed or ordinary potting compost and when to cover with vermiculite or thin layer of compost as the seed packets are not always very specific. She's trying to sow... Lettuce, tomato, lobelia and herb seeds. Okay. Uh, As for compost, uh, personally, I I never use multi-purpose compost because, as its name suggests, it has has a number of uses. The material, the, the compost itself, is too coarse for most seeds and it contains too much fertiliser for most seeds. So uh, if you're going to do it properly to my mind, do it properly, then I would always recommend that you use a seed sowing compost. Um, how do, Which ones need covering and which ones don't? Um, personally, I, I always like to use vermiculite because vermiculite holds moisture and warmth around it's the seed, useful, which is it? important and it's better than pure compost, but compost is fine. The seed packets will normally tell you 
if it doesn't need to be cut if the sea doesn't need to be covered if it doesn't say that then it usually means it needs to be covered all the ones that you have just mentioned in that list need to be covered so um if the seed as i said hopefully if you go to a good seed company it will tell you everything you need to know uh, but if if it's not mentioning about light and, and covering if it doesn't say don't cover then cover Okay, there are. There's some useful information for you, Elsie. And also, my two-year-old Nelly Mosa has lots of strong new growth, but only at the top. If I prune it as it as instructions, will it encourage growth low down, Brenda, in Whittam? Yes. Nelly Mosa flowers. Start from May, June. May, June. So it'll be now, fine now, because it'll now. have a lot of growth, won't it? And it it'll now. produce new growth from Cut the base. Cut it back by up to two-thirds. So yeah. take it down as far as you need to. Um, to get the regrowth to give you the flowers at the right height. So if it's six foot high at the moment, you could take it down to four foot, you could take it down to three foot, you could take it down to three and a half foot, four and a half foot, five and a half foot, whatever suits you. But the harder you do it, the better the regrowth at the base and the more flowers. Yeah, Brenda from Whitton, we go but nip into the phones to Nita from Rochford. What would you like to know, Nita? Hello. Hello there. What would you like to know? Yeah, it's regarding my gardenias. Yeah. I bought two plants that have gone really dry indoors uh-huh. and I don't know what to do with them. Gardenias are quite tricky things to grow indoors. They are they, very tricky. They do dry out. They need um, to keep moist all the time and they do like being misted all the time and with they, a little mist up. And they prefer... Uh, water that doesn't have chalk or lime in it and if you've got you know hard water in your tap they don't like tap water and to be perfectly honest sorry for the bad news but if they've dried out there isn't much point in trying to keep them because they are incredibly difficult even people who know what they're doing uh, you know even people like me I I don't grow gardenias because the, the, the the likelihood of getting them to reflower is impossible the best if you're gonna if you're gonna grow them, you grow them as a one year plant, and as soon as they finish flowering, you chuck them out because they're impossible to re- replant. Uh, sorry, reflower. But if it's already dried out, you're not going to get flowers, so it's probably not worth keeping. Sorry. Not good news, Nita. But sorry about that. Um, right, I've got a pot of parsley on kitchen windowsill. Is it safe to feed with houseplant food? Yeah. Something like baby bio. Yeah, whatever. If not, what's best, Rob? Anything. Anything. Anything goes with feeding those sort of things. Um, seed potato... <laughs> Mark from Basildon wants to know what's the best seed potato to buy. Now, the trouble is, you know... Actually, out of interest, then, you grow a few seed potatoes, don't yep. you? Do you try new varieties or do you try... No, not anymore. So what do you grow? Come I, on. I, we'll, I, tell, we'll tell Mark from Basildon, I, shall I we? I grow the ones that I like. And what do you like? And basically, I grow um, Charlotte... Yeah, that's a good one. Charlotte as my early potato. Yeah. I love Charlotte. Charlotte is 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 multi-use and it keeps. You don't have to use it as a new potato. It Sold keeps, a lot in supermarkets now as well. Keeps and keeps and keeps yeah. and keeps and you can do everything with it. Mash it, chop it, chip it, roast it. Um, I'm a bit. I'm not as fussy with my main crops. Um, Desire. Because I like a nice red, is is, is, still is, a, a, good good, one. is a good one. Or kestrel, kestrel, um, and even golden wonder because it's got a nice yeah. yellow colour to it. So there's a few to get on with. Uh, just a very quick one here. Are plastic greenhouses okay to use? Walk-in type. I'm thinking of getting one, and that's Pat 
electric. They're perfect, yes. I mean, you know, they're, they're a lot cheaper than a, 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 a glazed greenhouse. They're not as warm, are they? They're not as warm, but they, and they are a lot, 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 lot cheaper. And if you want something to start off with, brilliant idea. Thank you very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go. Yes, you just go to the BBC Sounds app. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not join us next week at 11 o'clock and give us a call on 0800 4041. That's the gardening hour, the gardening phone-in, yes, here on BBC Essex, every Saturday at 11. 